0: the choosing of the seven in those days when the number of disciples was increasing the Hellenistic Jews among them complained that the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables brothers and sisters Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
1: Let's pray. Lord, please speak to each of us now, today, through your word. Show us what you want us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here we are. The believers are still in Jerusalem, almost wholly Jewish. Some proselytes, people who have not been born into the Jewish uh ethnicity and who have decided to practice Judaism and the number of disciples has grown to about 5,000 and they're faced with the usual church issues, Uh, sin in the fellowship, that was Ananias and Sapphira, Uh, persecution from the Jewish Sanhedrin, not just yet the Romans Um, and uh, this is now, um, looks like, um, an ethnic issue. It's certainly a justice issue. And the problem solving in the church is to do with how do you combine, balance, address both together, the word of God and administration or service? How do you do both? It's still local. Philip hasn't yet gone to Samaria. Peter's not yet gone to Joppa. Paul hasn't yet come from Damascus. And the people are almost all Jewish, same tradition. There's not a race issue, it's not a gender issue, because they're all widows. And at that stage, it's perfectly clear that that means they're women. They are entitled to care from the community That's in Genesis, it's in Exodus, it's in Isaiah. And it's also clear from the text that they're not receiving that care to which they're entitled, some of them. It's not about interpretation or doctrine. It's not about methods of worship, the place of the temple, or sacrifice. It's not about controversial membership criteria, what you have to do to be a Christian. It's about fairness. the problem arose in the daily distribution of food between these two groups of widows. Hellenistic, or Grecian, that's to say Jews, who speak Greek as the first language, and the other group who speak Aramaic. We might call it Hebrew, but it's strictly Aramaic. They are predominantly from Jerusalem. The other group, guessed by me, this, predominantly from the Diaspora, These might be those who came for the Pentecost celebration, saw, encountered, believed, joined, and remained. So they might be a long way from home, they might be away from their friends and relations, they might not have the jobs they had before. Anyway, the widows are being neglected. Institutional neglect perceived as ethnic bias or insensitivity. Have you heard anything like that recently at all? Institutional neglect, perceived as ethnical, no, ethnic bias or insensitivity. It sounds like 21st century blues to me. We hear this a lot. This particular example is not racist. Not even in the Diane Abbott sense, it's not. The meaning of the word is clear, they're both, from the same group and tradition, and yet one set of them are being neglected, and it's clear from the text that they are being neglected. So what did the apostles do? Did they get in um, a group of management consultants? Did they form a select committee? Did they decide that perhaps they wanted an independent report? Did they call for resignations? Did they call for a change of leadership? Do you oppose the Holy Spirit as leader of the church? Do they give a current apology for past failures? Did they demand or give compensation? No. It's a clique issue, really. They're using one language or the other. But it does have a familiar ring, doesn't it? They've been neglected in the decision-making. Something needs to be done. It, people, it is familiar, people in various parts of Britain might feel, perhaps if they lived in uh, Dover, or if they lived in the north of England, or perhaps Northern Ireland, they might think that they are being neglected in central provision and decision making, perhaps as a consequence of new arrivals of different people. But this is in the church, not in the political arena. So the disciples consider the risk or Perhaps we could call it the demonic opportunity that this situation presents. The first is of schism, splitting the church again and again, ultimately into smaller and smaller groups, ultimately, perhaps, eventually, rather than considering the word of God and the application of the word of God to the issue in question, splitting and splitting and splitting, until ultimately each small group really only consists of one, who is his own or her own prime minister, but not prime servant, and what the world sees of the church, the damage to the reputation of the Lord and to the credibility of the gospel, if there is infighting, injustice, and distress within the church. It's profound. How many people do you know who actually say, religion, religion, religion is the cause of most of the wars? Have you ever, ever heard that? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. He who would be great among you must be a servant of all. The text doesn't actually say that they sat down immediately and prayed, but I think from the rest of, of Luke, we let perhaps just let that go past and think that maybe Luke reckons that's self-evident. Doesn't need to tell us. But this is a bit like Moses, when his father-in-law comes to him and says, look, you're doing too much. You need help. And he agrees and appoints some lesser judges to deal with the easy cases. But the apostles have this problem-solving exercise, how to serve the widows without degrading service ministries. That's a nice, pompous way of saying it. But does this apply today in a society where we emphasize victimhood, we have an apparent right to choose to be offended, identification of historic wrongs and the effects, the hurt, the pain of badly handled previous problems? There are a lot. Of justice issues that we encounter perhaps they might be more easily resolved if they could be seen as forgiveness issues anyway what did the disciples do they clearly accepted the problem they identified the wider issue they were too busy as the number grew to 5,000 for the eleven to dish out the bread rolls in the morning. And they set out the choice they have. Neglect the Greek-speaking Jewish widow's legitimate complaint or neglect preaching the word of God for which they've been chosen and anointed. The word of God or administration. They wanted, in verse 12, to devote their lives, their time to prayer and the ministry of the Word, uh, preaching, evangelism, teaching. But they couldn't because of this problem. Risk assessment. There might be division. There might be an issue of credibility. There might be distraction of effort and prayer and time and treasure. There might be hardship for fellow believers if they don't resolve it. I don't want to go on about division too much, but if we look at the church which calls itself Protestant today, there are a very large number of leaders may have different titles and names. If we look at the other parts of the church today, um, it's the same. If you look on Google and put in the question, how many popes are there, what's the answer? How many popes are there now? Come on. Four. <laughs> Different parts of the Catholic Church. How much do we know about the others? How many uh, patriarchs or popes are there, at the moment, alive and in place, in post, in the world? Popes four. Any, any idea? Is, that, is it good beyond that? Well, there are five more in the Oriental Orthodox Church. There are six more after that in the Independent Catholic Church. And there are four patriarchs. Nineteen. Church unity is not just a difficulty. It's something which consumes huge amounts of time and prayer and treasure. And even in the Church of England, different traditions have sometimes led 17th century to a civil war, persecution, which hunts and the greatest loss of life in any conflict proportionate to the number of people in the country that this country has ever been involved in, well, since Roman times. And there are many different traditions, marriage, women's ministry, sexual matters of every kind, perhaps inherited differences and rituals. All very divisive and very painful. The apostles, the disciples, were trying to resolve what looks like a small one, but the way they did it might have a bit of a clue for us. Can we learn anything about the way they did it? Uh, And what's at stake is, as I've said, neglecting the ministry of the Word of God and prayer. And that might be compromised. And there might be a preoccupation with those problems rather than having them resolved. Because a life obviously inconsistent with what we preach is not especially convincing. So what do they do? In verse 3, the apostles summoned all the disciples um, together and uh, told them to appoint seven people to deal with the distribution. This pleased everybody. Is that a first? Perhaps it's a last. Let's assume prayer. And the whole gathering chose seven. And all seven had Greek names. And their parents, who chose those names presumably, must have had some expectation that they would live lives of significance because these are names with meaning. Stephen means crowned, Philip means lover of cavalry, so something warlike horses. Prochorus is a choirmaster, an organizer, perhaps of songs of praise, maybe of national anthems. Nicanor is a conqueror. Timon is honorable. Palminus, he abides or is permanent. And Nicolaus, he overcomes. These parents must have thought that these children were going to be doing something significant. But when you think what... They all came, didn't they, from the very group whose widows, all of them, came from the same group of widows who were being neglected. How How many organizations today appoints a group of people to solve a problem, all of whom are on the side, as it were, of those who have suffered from that. And what are the character requirements? What are the selection criteria for these jobs? It's not experience, it's not who you know, it's not talent, it's not your relationships, or friendships, it's not even diversity to reflect the society which you're going to be serving. It's character, good repute, full of the spirit, full of wisdom. Is that too high a requirement for working in the food bank, for dishing out the bread rolls? They thought not. They're serving a neglected group and they're binding up the wounds which that neglect would have caused that group. So they came together, prayed for the seven whom had been chosen, laid hands on them. Why did they do that? They're already full of the Holy Spirit or wouldn't have had the criteria to be selected. So it can't be for faith. It can't be for, well, it can't be for belief, if you see what I mean. It can't be for healing. It can't be for those things. It must be commissioning. A recognition that their role requires, their role requires a spiritual input, a spiritual element. They're seeking more power and more wisdom, and the one without the other is dangerous, the other without the one is useless. So they resolve the problem by service, freeing the disciples into their callings. The word of God increased, the number of disciples multiplied greatly. They're still in Jerusalem, and there's still a context of remarkable love, chapter 4, verse 32, frequent miracles, chapter 5, verse 12, and courageous proclamation of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, chapter 5, 29 to 32. And even the large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I think that's important, because these chaps, it was their living, their position, their family expectation, everything about them if they were priests, and now they're switching to a different view of who the Messiah is. Early in the coronation last week, we listened, didn't we, um, and we were reminded that even the king promises to serve as his mother had, serve the people. And, he, and quoting Jesus, coming not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And serving the people means serving them in this context with the necessities of life. But also, those may be physical, they may also be social or spiritual. Is seven too many or too few to serve 5,000? Do we see too much or too little administration in the world today? It depends which organization you're in, I suppose. Last week, Tim started by asking if there's anybody here who wondered perhaps whether God was calling them into something new. This might be a help. Perhaps anyone who's doing too much and not managing what has to be done might have to share some of it. But these issues of leadership, at every level in the church, they are on a service model. Devotion, 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 That's the Old Testament, her word, I think, the equivalent, which means wholly given over to God, a life, a sacrifice. Stephen found himself in exactly that situation quite soon after this. Devotion to the word of God and to service. And service here has to do with fairness, but has a spiritual aspect. And the first two they mentioned, Stephen, he addresses the Sanhedrin, that body who's been persecuting, that body was responsible for Jesus being handed over and the crowd stirred up, that group of people. He lectures them and addresses them on the theology of the Old Testament, (laughs) the purposes of God, and that God is not bound to one place. The apostles haven't yet explained the instructions of the Lord Jesus' ministry to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the Utterphrine, most parts of the earth they're still in Jerusalem this man is a theologian as well as a waiter and Philip is close enough to the Holy Spirit to be the first of the deacons we call them apostles haven't seemed to have quite rumbled it yet the first of them to grasp the reality of the kingdom of God extending to enemies and foreigners And God, through him, performs signs and deliverance, healings in Samaria, of all places. Phase two of the Lord's instructions. He's a baptizer of foreign believers. He's close enough to be transported by God, like Elijah, from baptizing the chief executive of the Bank of Ethiopia, to another place, Azotus. Part of what's now the, well, has been the Philistine area, part of the area which is sensitive uh, around Gaza. Did these men have the mind of Jesus as described in Philippians 2? Jesus who made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Now this may be to me, but when I was preparing this, the reading on the morning uh, was from James 4. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Forgive me if I've appeared judgmental to the church in the past. Stephen and Philip were appointed by the apostles to serve tables, and they were appointed by God to do a great deal more besides. What's God saying to each of us today from this passage? Amen.